2020 vision of Jesus. And you see there on the screen, we're going to be looking this morning at the temptation of Jesus. And so as we just sang there, we know that Satan does tempt us in different ways. He tempts us to the point of despair. In fact, he tempts us in a whole lot of ways in our lives to do a whole lot of different things. And if we want to be really honest this morning, we would probably admit that some of the things that we're tempted to do don't take a whole lot of tempting at all. Right? We're sometimes willing to do those things that we know we shouldn't do or to say those things we know we shouldn't say. And yet at the end of the day, we want to do the right thing. We want to uh, be known as people who walk according to God's way. Right? Hopefully at least that's where we want to walk. And so this morning we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, a clear picture of Jesus is what we want to see. How he's tempted here in Luke chapter 4 and how his victory over temptation can become our victory and the temptations we face. So up to this point, as we've looked at the Gospel of Luke, we've seen Luke highlighting the uniqueness of Jesus to a great extent. The miraculous circumstances surrounding his birth. We see that. We see the reactions of those in the temple as Jesus was there as a child. We hear the preaching of John the Baptist, see the baptism of Jesus, but then near the end of chapter 3, we see something different happening. Right, we're right here at the beginning of chapter 4, this morning is where we're going to focus, but right before that, we see this section that stands out, it's different, a genealogy of Jesus. Right, it's one of those things that when we get to that point, when we're reading through the scriptures, and hopefully you're reading the Gospel of Luke along with us, when we get to those points, would anybody... Be bold enough to admit that when you get to the genealogies in the Bible, you're tempted to skip over them, right? Since we're talking about temptation, right? That's what we're tempted to do, because we don't know what to do with it, right? We don't know who all these people are. We definitely don't know how to pronounce all of their names. The temptation is just to skip over it, like we're watching a show on DVR and we just skip through the commercials, right? We fast forward. That's what we want to do with this, but it shows us something really important about Jesus. As Jesus was baptized, we heard this voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is identified as the Son of God. Luke includes that detail to let us know Jesus is God in the flesh, that He is unique and that He is divine. He's fully God. We talked last week about the details that Luke includes in his gospel. So why does he include this detail, this genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam, to the first man. Why would he do that? He's interested here in showing us not only that Jesus is God, but also that Jesus is human. Traces Jesus' ancestors all the way back to Adam to help us see that Jesus is the hope, not just of one nation or of one group of people, but that he is the hope for all mankind. He wants us to see that because we need to see that so that we understand what he's going to show us here in Luke chapter 4 with the temptation of Jesus. So let's begin reading there. If you have your copy of God's Word in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Luke's purpose here in his gospel is clear. He makes it clear right at the beginning. He wants to provide us with this orderly account of the life of Jesus so that we can have certainty about who Jesus is and about what we believe. And so as we look at this passage this morning, as we go all the way through the Gospel of Luke, right, our first question is, what do we see here about Jesus? What does this teach us about who He is? So we see this morning the temptation of Jesus first reveals the truth of Jesus. So we read through this Gospel, we see Him laying out who Jesus is piece by piece. Like any good storyteller, He's telling Stories building up the characters, developing those characters, building a plot that's probably obvious to us, but for some of us, the way we read the gospel sometimes is we just pick and choose, right? These little episodes out of it, right? We pick and choose and we kind of take it in isolation. The way we watch maybe our favorite TV show. Maybe there's a show that you've watched for years and years. Like you watched it years ago when it came out, back when you had to wait a week for the next episode to come out. Um, then you maybe had it on DVD and you watched it then, went through the whole series, right? You know all the characters now. Now you stream it at any time, anywhere, right? You've seen every episode to the point you know what's coming next. You know the, who the characters are. You know what they will do. We sometimes read the Gospels through that same lens because we know how the story ends. Right, but if we read it this morning like we're reading it for the first time, then we see something surprising about who Jesus is. We learn something new here in this chapter that we haven't seen yet as we've read through the Gospel of Luke, and we see here that Jesus is victorious over sin and over Satan. There's a lot for us to learn here in these first 13 verses, much more than we can fit into our time together this morning, but the main thing is this, that Jesus is victorious over sin and over Satan. Luke tells us that Jesus immediately leaves his baptism. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. We see three temptations Jesus faced here, but there were more than that. Right? But these are representative of all the other temptations he faced in this way. That Jesus was victorious. That he resisted temptation every single time. And as he did that here in chapter 4, he forecasts what would come later. He forecasts his ultimate victory over sin and over Satan. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As Jesus stares down Satan and overcomes these temptations, he's showing himself to be the Son of God. The God 
man, the only person ever to be tempted without sin. So remember the genealogy, right? That's right before this. Every person named in that list, all the way back to Adam, was tempted in the same ways that Jesus was tempted here. The same ways that we are. But every single one of them lost the battle. In our fallen and broken world, we know temptation leads to sin. That's the pattern that we have in our minds because it's the pattern that we see play out in our own lives, especially before we know Jesus. It's a pattern that, if we're not careful, can lead us to conclude something incorrect about temptation and about sin, and that is that to be tempted in and of itself is sinful. That it means we have already failed just because we are being tempted. We know that isn't the case, though, because Jesus was tempted. And in every respect, it says, as we are. Still to this day, though, Jesus is without sin. He shows us that to be tempted isn't necessarily to give in and to sin, to stumble. To be tempted isn't necessarily to lose the battle. It shows us that he's victorious over sin. It also shows us that he's victorious over Satan. As we look here at these temptations he faces, the devil comes to Jesus here three different times with the same lies and questions that he still tries to bring at us. And at every turn, every time, Jesus prevails. The lies of Satan were unable to shake his confidence in the truth of God's word. In this moment, Jesus demonstrates who he is, that he is the one who would fully and finally defeat Satan. Satan wasn't necessarily ready to accept defeat at the end of these verses that we read, but Jesus had already taken his best shots. He had already demonstrated that he is the Son of God, that he is the only man for whom temptation never led to sin. 1 John 3.8 tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See that happening here. As Jesus begins to dismantle the work that the enemy has been doing since Genesis 3. And we know that what begins here was finished ultimately at the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hebrews 2.14 tells us that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he, being Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The temptation of Jesus demonstrates that he is the one who's victorious over sin and over Satan. does one other thing this morning that we see before we move on. Something we always don't always think about when it comes to Jesus. As we look back at his life, we see it through the lens, as I said earlier a little bit, through the lens of what he would ultimately accomplish for us. We see it through the lens of the cross and the resurrection because we know where the story is going. And that's not a bad thing because the death and resurrection of Jesus is the central event in the history of salvation, the central event in all of human history. So it should be the central event in our thinking as well. But what we can miss here is that the temptation of Jesus also worked to develop his character. Hebrews 5, 8, 9 puts it this way. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. Right? Jesus never sinned. He was never disobedient. It's not that he wasn't perfect and then became perfect. What this verse is saying is he was always God's son, right? but he still learned and he grew. He was building strength. 
to obey with every temptation that came his way, he was being prepared for what would come next. And so the temptation of Jesus didn't just demonstrate who he was, it also developed who he is, and the one who would be obedient all the way to the point of death. Death on the cross for your sins and for mine. The temptation of Jesus reveals the truth of Jesus by demonstrating and developing who he is, one who is victorious over sin and over Satan. Second, we see Jesus' temptation reveals the tactics of Satan. Reveals the tactics of Satan. People sometimes in our lives surprise us, don't they? But if we're honest, most of, the, most of us are pretty predictable. We do the same things the same time, in the same way. We say the same things, tell the same stories. The more we're around someone, the clearer those tendencies become to us. So here in the temptation of Jesus, we see the tactics of Satan coming into focus. We see the patterns that play out over and over again in our lives as well as in Jesus' life. Russell Moore describes the pattern this way about temptation, saying temptation starts with a question of identity, moves to a confusion of the desires, and ultimately heads to a contest of futures. So it starts with a question about who we are, and it moves to a question of what we want, and then it moves ultimately to where we are headed. And so whether the temptation is to overindulge our physical appetites or to speak harshly to another person, or to get ahead at the expense of others or of our own integrity, Satan's tactics are the same. And we're going to see them here as we look at how he tempts Jesus. First, we need to recognize this, that Satan's greatest tool is lies. His greatest tool is lies. Lying is as natural to Satan as breathing is to you and me. We see that here in Luke chapter 4, but Jesus also tells us Later on in John 8, 44, about Satan, he says, When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Just who he is. And it's what he does. And sometimes it's the outright lie that he tells us, but a lot of times it's a subtle twist on the truth. Just look at what happens here with these three temptations. He begins by saying to Jesus, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, almost everything Luke has recorded up to this point has been to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. God the Father spoke from heaven saying, This is my Son. And Satan's first lie still is to question the identity of Jesus. To call into question the very word that God has just spoken. Not unlike what he Ask Eve in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Did he really say that? It's not unlike what still happens today. In our lives, we're tempted to rewrite what's right and what's wrong based on what we want or how we feel. And then we see Satan come at Jesus with another lie. He offers Jesus immediate authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Which again... That's a big promise to make, but one that isn't so impressive when we begin to consider, one, the cost of what he's demanding in exchange from Jesus, and second, whether or not he even has the authority to make that kind of offer. And the third temptation, Satan 
gets wise to Jesus' strategy against him, and he starts quoting scripture back at Jesus. But then he quotes it out of context. He twists its intended meaning. And he'll do the same thing even in our lives. Because in order to get us to sin, the enemy doesn't need us to believe every single lie that he tells us or every single lie that is out there. He just needs us to believe one and then act on it. Because greatest toll in our lives is the same as in Jesus' life. It is his lies. If you are really a child of God, if you wouldn't have thought that, he says to us, you wouldn't have said that, you wouldn't have done that. He promises what he can't deliver in exchange for a price we can't afford to pay. But he does it by hiding the cost. It's way down there in the fine print at the bottom where we don't see it until it's too late. Short-term gain, but long-term gain. It sucks us in before we realize it's too late. For us to counter Satan's lies, we need to do the same thing as Jesus does. We need to know the truth. Knowing the truth is the only way we'll recognize his lies for what they are. We've got to have something to measure them against. If Satan's greatest tool is lies, our greatest weapon is the truth. Another thing we see here in Satan's attacks is this, that Satan attacks where we are vulnerable. His favorite point of attack is our most deeply held desires. In James 1, 13-15 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James first makes clear what we need to make clear this morning. That God is not the one who tempts us. It's not who he is. God isn't just waiting for us to trip up. right? So that then he can punish us. That's the view that some of us have of who God is. But that isn't the God that we see in the Scriptures. It's not the God that has revealed Himself to us through Jesus. When God allows temptation or testing in our lives, it's for the same reason He allows it here in the life of Jesus. To demonstrate who we are. To develop who we are. James tells us, and Jesus shows us, temptation works this way, that we are lured and enticed away by our own desires. Since Jesus was tempted, I think we can say those desires that we have, they aren't necessarily sinful desires in and of themselves. Because sin comes in when we fulfill those desires in a way that violates God's design. That's where sin enters the picture. Let's just look at how it plays out in Luke chapter 4. How Satan attacks where Christ is most vulnerable. How he works through those desires. You see first Jesus in the wilderness. For 40 days, without food, he was hungry. He wanted food, needed food. Not a wrong desire to <clears throat> like to eat. That's good news this morning. Satan sees those physical appetites as a place of vulnerability. He says to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. The question is, here, who is Jesus going to trust? It's not whether or not Jesus was going to eat. Eventually, he was going to eat. It was whether or not he was going to trust 
God the Father to provide for his needs or whether he was going to go Satan's way. It was much as much of an attack on God's fatherhood here as it was on Jesus' identity as his son. So the point of attack for Jesus and for us is do we trust God to provide for us when the shortcut seems so easy or so good in the moment? We know how Jesus responds here. Next temptation we see the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he offers him authority and glory over all of them. If he, Jesus will just do one thing, if Jesus will just bow down and worship him. For Jesus, the desire to rule and to reign over all things, it's not a misplaced desire. It's not a sinful desire. The question here is when and how it would happen. What Satan is offering is glory and authority without suffering, without the cross. And he's appealing to a desire for glory and worship that ignores the first commandment that God gave to Moses, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's a temptation that we're vulnerable to as well. Because we're created to reflect the glory of God. We're created to glorify him and to honor him. The question is, will we steal the glory that God alone deserves? Again, we read here, we see how Jesus responds. And then the devil attacks at a third point. Point of pride or point of self-importance. He calls Jesus' identity into question again. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the top of this temple, because you know God won't let anything happen to you. And that's his argument. You're too important. But the way he does it here is interesting. Right? He twists the word of God. Satan recognizes Jesus is constantly responding to him with God's words. And so he makes his attacks more subtle. He actually attempts to use God's word against God's son. Satan will use that and any other means to convince us that we are above the commands of God. He knows we're wired for worship, but he's happy for us to worship anything or anyone other than the one true God. And in this fallen and broken and sinful world, he knows our favorite object of worship is always ourselves. He attacks where we're most vulnerable. Taking desires that are good and God-given and turning them toward evil. See Jesus' temptation revealing the tactic of Satan. As we think about that, we need to recognize this third thing, that Satan will be persistent. Satan will be persistent. The way we often read this account is that Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, praying, and then Satan shows up at the end of those 40 days to tempt him. And all these come one after the other on the 40th day. But look again at verse 2 in chapter 4. It says, He was there for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. It was ongoing, persistent for 40 days. We get three temptations recorded here, but these are just a sampling of what Jesus endured, what he faced, a picture of what Satan threw his way. And that's how temptation works in our lives as well. There are definitely times of more intense testing, more intense temptation that we face. And there may be times 
that are relatively calm in comparison. But 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be alert because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let's look at how he leaves this time of temptation with Jesus in verse 13 of chapter 4 in Luke. It says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from it until an opportune time. Jesus was victorious over sin and over Satan, but that doesn't stop the enemy from trying. As we read the rest of the Gospels, we see him coming back at Jesus again and again and again. Maybe most memorably as Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to Jerusalem to be killed, to die on the cross, and then to be raised on the third day. And Peter's answer to him there is, no, never, not on my watch, right? Not going to happen. How does Jesus respond to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus recognizes in that moment who is ultimately behind the temptation to avoid suffering, to avoid the cross. Satan was and is still waiting, looking for an opportune time, seeking someone to devour. And he'll come at you when you're alone in the wilderness, like we see him doing with Jesus here in Luke chapter 4, and he'll come at you when you think you're with your Satan. Jesus is with those closest to him here. He's talking to Peter, his closest friend, his closest follower. Right? Satan will use whatever opportunities he can get to try to tempt us and take us off course because he is a liar. So we learn about Satan here. We need to be alert to his tactics. But ultimately, right, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. His temptation reveals the truth of Jesus. The tactics of Satan finally reveals the path to victory. A big part of our struggle against temptation, I think, is owed in large part to our outsized focus on the tempter and on the temptations that we face. There are a lot of Christians, maybe some in this room this morning, who are living a life marked by defeat rather than a life of victory. We all know the pattern in some way, right? And at some point in our lives, desire gives way to temptation, which then gives way to sin in our lives. And we resolve, we determine, I'm going to do better. I'm going to overcome this this time. I'm not doing that again. But then desire gives way to temptation. And it gives way to sin. And we resolve again to do better. We repeat the process again. Until eventually, right, we just stop trying. We're living in a place of defeat. Maybe because the guilt and the shame are weighing us down. Maybe we, it's because we decided we would take the short-term pleasure over the long-term joy of obedience. Right? And we still, even in that place of defeat, we say, right, I'm struggling against this temptation or I'm struggling with this sin, but really there's not much struggle going on at all. That's what happens when we place the focus on the tempter and on the temptation. We'll either find ourselves overpowered or overwhelmed. But defeat isn't where the Christian is called to live. And Jesus' temptation, he reveals the path to victory. Whatever temptation you face, Jesus' temptation, his victory over temptation is our victory. The fight against temptation isn't a fight 
that we're strong enough to win, not on our own, not on our own strength. But Jesus' victory over sin and Satan means that his victory can be ours by faith. It belongs to each and every one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and who are following him with our lives. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our strength, our victory over temptation doesn't come from somewhere deep down within us that we just muster up enough strength. It comes from Christ in us, Him working in us by His Spirit. Our only hope for victory is the victory that Christ has already won for us. When we are weak, Jesus is strong. Our path to victory is finding our strength in the Lord and in remembering who we are in Him. And the devil just keeps coming at Jesus here with the same line of attack. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, right, he questions the same thing, calling into question His identity. And that's exactly what He'll do when He tempts us. He'll ask, do you really think that God cares about what you do? Do you really think that God would forgive the things that you've done? Do you really think a child of God would think that or say that or do that? We've got to recognize those attacks for what they are. And most importantly, remind ourselves, remind one another, or that's what we're doing here this morning, who we are in Christ. Because when we believe in Christ, we are the children of God. We're adopted into His family. We're united with Christ. We are filled with His Spirit. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We're forgiven. We're free from sin, bought at a price, dead to sin, and alive to Christ. Every time we fall into temptation, it's because we fail to remember who we are. At least for that one brief moment, we believe that we're defined by what we want instead of by who we are. When we're tempted to believe that everyone is out to get us or that nobody will ever know what happens to us, what we do on our own, we might as well give in because we're going to eventually. When we're tempted to believe those lies, the answer isn't for us to get in some back and forth argument with the devil who is tempting us. We don't fight temptation with the tactics of the tempter, we win the battle by knowing and believing and staking our lives on the truth. And the truth is what we see in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Christ, there's always a way out of temptation. It doesn't take us through sin. It may not be as satisfying in the moment, but there is a way of escape. There's a way for us to endure. We see that way in Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We fight the lies of Satan by storing 
God's truth in our hearts so that we're able to see clearly what is sin, see what it costs us, and to see where it leads us. It's exactly what we see Jesus doing here. Every time Satan comes at him with this temptation, he comes at him with more lies, he quotes God's truth, God's word back to him. We read on in Ephesians chapter 6 where we were a moment ago. Paul goes on to talk about the armor that we need for the spiritual battle that we face. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. See these, this armor that God has given us in Jesus for the battle that we face. Belt of truth, sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. It's everything we need to fight the lies that we face. A strength found in the victory Jesus has already won for us. And so, path to victory this morning is already ours because Jesus has already won the victory. It's not a victory that we fight for, but one that we fight from this morning. James 4, 7 tells us, Submit yourselves to, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resisting the devil, what's that calling us to do? What we've already said, to trust in the Lord, to find our strength in Christ. He already has won the victory. And there's always a way of escape when we face temptation. It's what God's Word has told us. It is what His truth says. Here's the thing. We're honest this morning. We don't always like way of escape or way to endure. Right? We would prefer absence of temptation. Right? Just take away the temptation altogether. One of Satan's lies is to tell us that the ongoing presence of temptation in our lives means that there must be something that is uniquely wrong with us. That we've already failed, that we're broken beyond repair. But the persistence of Satan in the life of Jesus shows us the reality. That sometimes the way of escape means resisting the pull towards sin today, and getting up and doing it again tomorrow, and then the day after that, and then the day after that. Victory and temptation doesn't always mean the temptation goes away. It means we resist temptation today, showing ourselves and others that Jesus really is enough for us. And that He will be tomorrow. And he will be for all of eternity. In the moment, sometimes that may not feel like a victory. But in this world that is so marred by sin and broken, it's what it looks like to live in the victory that Christ has won for us, to take the way of escape, to take the way that he has given us, and to endure because Jesus is our strength. Jesus' temptation reveals the truth of Jesus, the tactics of Satan, 
and the path to victory. Son of God was tempted in every respect, just as you and I are, and yet he was without sin. Without sin, he would go to the cross, where our sins were placed upon him. And under the weight of our sin, he died to pay the debt that we could not afford to pay. Nailing our sin to the cross. And then, three days later, he was raised, victorious over sin and over death, securing for eternity what was revealed first at his temptation, that he is victorious. Satan came at Jesus with everything he had, the same tactics he'll still use against us, lies and questions and doubt about who he is and about who we are. Good, God-given desires twisted for evil, twisted for selfish gain. Same attacks day after day after day. And every time we see Jesus stood strong. He trusted God the Father instead of the Father of lies. He fought back against the lies with the truth of God's word. And as he resisted, the devil fled. So what does all this mean for us? means when you're tempted to get what you want in a way that isn't God's way, that Jesus has already won the victory. It means that when you're tempted to write somebody off, if you've had enough of them, Jesus has already won the victory. It means that when you're tempted to take another look where you know you shouldn't be looking, Jesus has already won the victory. When you're tempted to speak harshly or unkindly to somebody, Jesus has won the victory. Because wherever it is that we are weak, wherever it is that we're vulnerable to temptation, Jesus is strong. So the question today is whether or not Jesus' victory is our victory. If you trusted him and followed him with your life. If not, today is the day for you to do that. And if you have trusted Jesus, if you are following him with your life, then call to us is to find our strength to fight temptation and the victory he's already won for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture of Jesus that we see here in these verses this morning. Our Savior who was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. A Savior who is strong when we are weak. A Savior who is the way and the truth and the life in a world that is so filled with, with confusion and with lies, with brokenness and with death. God, we thank you for Jesus, for what he has done in our lives and for what he is doing in our lives. Giving us the strength that we need every day as temptation comes, as we hear the lies, or to, to know the truth, to see the truth, and then to walk in it. To do it with your strength, Lord. As your spirit is at work in us, Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing 
in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.